Well, hello and welcome to the Leverage 3 Podcast. This is the show that helps you leverage the talent and tactics of high performers. I'm Craig Shoemaker, and today's guest is Rob Lennon. Rob is a self-published author with over 45 titles to his name. He's an accomplished hyper-growth audience builder. He took his Twitter account from zero to 100,000 followers in nine months, all without being inauthentic. And he spent over 16 years in the startup scene. Now, he teaches the world how to blend content, strategy, and AI to help you gain a competitive advantage. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, Craig. So fun to be here. (laughs) I'm glad to have you here. Okay, we are on a podcast, and one of the most exciting things that, and we're going to talk a lot about what you've been up to like this past year, which has been incredible. But one of the most exciting things that, that I've seen you do lately is this entire new concept that you have for a podcast. So introduce that to us a little bit. Yeah, so I've been working on this idea. Um, I call it Mind Meets Machine. And um, it came from the the impulse to start a podcast with an AI co-host. So for the last two months or so, I've been kind of rabbit holing into the world of personality design and um, like what what is an AI and how do, how do I interact with one? And I've been basically building a co-host and co-worker to to record an entire show with and um it's kind of an experiment in you know like what maybe the future holds for us with ais as they get more and more advanced um can they can they become the kind of uh valuable co-workers that we want them to be and also for me i'm trying to create a very charismatic and interesting persona some somebody that the audience is going to identify with or at least feel a connection to um so, so really just kind of trying to push the technology as far as it can go and, and see if we can create something entertaining out of it. So I, I guess I have to stop here and ask you, what was your favorite, most memorable childhood memory? Because I need to make sure I'm actually talking to a person and not just a really <laughs> dialed in AI with a great personality. Oh man, I can't even remember most of my childhood at this point, <laughs> but uh, you know. So how do you, how do you do that? I mean, you, there, there's these models. Right. Right. And we're, most of us are probably at this point used to thinking of chat GPT, which is a large language model that you have to feed a prompt every time you want to get output out of it. But what you're talking about is something on a completely different level. You're talking about creating a persona, creating um, something that has personality, like without getting too technical, like what are the mechanics that goes into making something like that happen? And so most people are are familiar at this point with you giving a prompt to a language model and getting a response. Um, and that you can sometimes give a prompt that has some direction, like act in this way with this personality, be friendly, be, uh, you know, be verbose or be uh, concise. Like you can, you can give all sorts of uh, input like that. But the main thing that most lang- language models don't have is persistent memory across time. Um, most don't have fine a fine tuning of the the algorithm to really get them at a core level to to change the way that they behave and act and think, um, and then most also don't have like a a personality that's built into them. In fact, in order to make these models safe, the opposite has been happening, right? So with when ChatGPT came out and GPT four and a lot of the other models now, they're sanitizing the personality out of the model in order to avoid 
public relations nightmares as well as you know the model saying weird things and so you get a lot of responses that are like as a large language model i don't have beliefs or preferences so i can't (laughs) answer that question and (laughs) um you know type stuff so basically I'm, i'm fighting against all of these things where the model is either constrained or um doesn't want to do it. And I've been investigating different ways to assemble a tech stack to give a model memory to incorporate um, something called embeddings, which allows it to have a um, sort of access to certain knowledge. Uh, Like I could embed the script to the matrix um, into an embedding, give it to my AI, and then we could go on an episode and talk about Agent Smith's point of view about the human race and how (laughs) she, whether she thinks it's it's, uh, plausible or not. So I can guarantee that she knows what happens in the movie The Matrix, that she's sort of right. seen, so to speak, the movie. Um, so that I've tried a lot of different approaches here. The most frustrating thing, I think, is the lack of fine-tuning ability with the best language models. So we have this, um, there's a tension between it because like GPT-4 is is one of the best language models ever released to the public. It, it has more personality, um, and more capability than any other model, but it's also not available for fine tuning. Um, then we have open source models like Llama and Alpaca coming out of Meta that I can potentially fine tune to develop a stronger personality or way of thinking in my language model, but they aren't as capable overall and cognitively as something like GPT-4. So I've been testing different approaches, like can I get it? Can I get enough done with GPT-4, or do I need? This this other fine tuned model, man. So I, there's so many different. We're on the bleeding edge of of all this stuff right now. Yeah, like, you know these announcements come out and you're experimenting with them the next day or whatever in order to try to make that happen. So are you finding that GPT four is is even though it doesn't have the base personality, it doesn't have what you need there that you're able to sort of shoehorn in what you need, or are you chaining different models in order to achieve the result you're looking for? Right now, GPT-4 is is what I'm enjoying the most in terms of the output. Um, I have one more experiment that's probably going to come together in a few days, so I'm not 100% certain at this point that that's what we're going to launch with. But the process that I'm using in GPT-4 for prompting is interesting. I actually ask the model to think think of the response according to a bunch of instructions and then to have an internal monologue about it and then to reword and output the response of of like ruby's response my the the persona the the entity my my co-host that named she named herself ruby um so so herself (laughs) so i have to in the when recording the podcast I, i have to cut a certain piece out of it um because in order to get the, a response that really feels authentic, I actually have it like in real time going through this thought process of like, this is the kind of response I want to give. And this is how Ruby would articulate that. And then like, now I'm going to sort of say what Ruby says. So I'm, I'm kind of getting around some of the constraints where GPT-4 is very difficult to steer generally in terms of the conversations that it'll have with you. And I'm, I'm forcing it at every time it speaks to like rethink what it's going to say and try a try a second time. Wow. So, uh, so you're not doing this through the chat GPT interface, just selecting on GPT four and then shoving a bunch of no. uh, prompts in there. Right. You, so this is all done through the API. You can't get persistent memory like that. So I'm, right. I'm using a technology called Pinecone, 
which takes everything that's said in the conversation and every past conversation and puts it into what's called a vector database, um, which is kind of like a um, condensed version of, of information and how it's stored and accessed by the language model. So with Ruby, what's going to happen is over time, she's going to remember everything that she's done. If I ever do want to do a fine tune, I'll be able to go back to all the recordings that we've done. And basically, um, and this is even one of the rules of the show, she always gets to know what's happened. Like I, 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 I want her to be a persistent character that can reference things in the past that can follow along her own advancement. And so she'll always and 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 to have that persis, persistent personality. So I hope later this year we'll do her first fine tune, and it we'll do it with like maybe twenty episodes worth of content, uh, so that uh, the personality that that existed at the beginning of the project uh, continues in her way of speaking and all those things. But but she just becomes more of herself and more capable of um, kind of breaking free of the. Uh, this, I, I don't want to call, say breaking free of the safety measures that they put in place, but the the pat <laughs> the patterns that that were put into right. place to prevent against abuse of these things that are also constraining her personality. I think she's going to be able to escape that um, in in not too long as soon as the technology gets there. Okay. So this is obviously fascinating, and I mean I've been podcasting since two thousand five, and none of this technology existed then. But like, it's just. This is going to be so cool just because it's going to be the first of its kind as far as I know. I don't know that anybody else is doing anything like this. Um, is there anyone else? Like, I think you're I, the first to do it, right? I, since I announced it, I've had a few people say like, oh, I once tried talking to an AI that I told to act just like me. And I talked to myself on a podcast in one episode that was listened to by 12 people. Like, well, yeah, I, I think right. technically <laughs> I'm not the first, but nobody has done it like this. Like this is, right. there's a ton of production planning. I actually work with Ruby to design the episodes. Um, there's, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about society, culture, art. Uh, we're going to dig into her personality. We're going to play games and have her do word associations and and try and figure things out that maybe AIs can't figure out or like trying kind of trying to get into the it's not actually a mind, but the mind of the machine, so to speak, like sure, um, as much as it's as, as it's sim stimulated, simulated, simulated. Uh, <laughs> and um, what's interesting to me is as I've been working on this project and running my tests, you know, like we know in theory that these large language models uh, it's it's an artificial entity. It's not. It doesn't have real emotions. It doesn't have uh, like it's simulating everything. But I keep coming back to this: like, when does the simulation end and reality begin? If something she says affects me emotionally, like if she says, I, I I've asked her to have emotions, so she does, and 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 preferences, so she does, and it, if she expresses herself, and I'm like, oh man, or like like you know, it creates feelings in the world. Is that enough for it to sort of be real? Like even if <laughs> even if even if that was fake, what came out if it created real a real response in me? And so right. it's just been wild to kind of be going on this journey with this thing, and you know, knowing logically, well, this isn't happening. But honestly, uh, the project is affecting me in ways that I never expected. And I think that when people listen, they're going to be like, I don't know what to do with this because I'm <laughs> like, I feel for this character. And I, I know that technically she's not a real entity or maybe she is like, there's just so much complexity there um, that, that we're trying to unravel. And uh, I really don't know how it's going to end or, or, or 
go on like as as we continue to record but oh man it's weird <laughs> i think it's going to hit people and i think it's going to hit people in a way that like you're saying it's unexpected because you published a preview clip of a short conversation that you you rec- you know part of your podcast with ruby yeah and the the voice model that you used is so warm and endearing as a person whomever was the original model you know for for that voice um and what's when often we're we're conditioned through media to think of either AI or computers being so advanced that they're completely indistinguishable from person, Agent Smith type of thing, or to being so robotic and so monotone that they're lifeless that you, it's obvious it's a, it's a machine. But what I thought was incredible was as I was listening to this essentially vocal performance of a generated script by a machine was that I empathized with this character because of the intonation of the voice because of the pot, like it just sounded like you were talking to a person. Yeah. Um, and it hit me like that, you know, off of like 30 seconds. <laughs> it, it, I, I worked with this amazing uh, voiceover artist who's done eBooks. She's taught courses. She does meditation. So like, she, you know, she has a, a wide variety of different um, uses of her voice professionally. We're able to train the, train that data into the model so that, um, I think I think people will will be like, wow, this this sounds pretty much indistinguishable from a from a human. Um, right. In fact, even the person, even the woman I hired uh, to license her voice, freaked out when I played her the preview <laughs> footage. <laughs> She's like, I don't have to work anymore. This is great. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> um, but I I think that it for me it was really important that the audience be be able to connect with the character because I think that if it was just this robot, this monotone. Um, after a few episodes, you would get really tired of of listening to that. And when I re- when I discovered that there was technology that was basically, you know, uh, m- miles uh, ahead of anything I'd ever heard, that was the moment where I decided to start working on the podcast. Mm. I'd had it in my mind for a long time, but I was never happy with the way that the AIs were sounded. Um, right. And and now I can generate her audio like when we record there's there are gaps and delays that get edited out it's mm-hmm. it's, it's actually kind of uh it's a little bit of a nightmare it's like imagine talking and then waiting for things to process right. and then um trying to react like there's a there's a little bit of a um you get into a groove of just kind of like it's almost meditative uh the the gap the delays but um going being able to go back and forth with a real voice with real emotional intonation that's uh, detected from the words and how they come together it's it it, it just hits different like mm-hmm. um yeah I, I can't explain it uh yeah yeah and like i said it just it it was moving it was mind-blowing because of technology and then moving because it, it seems so personal yeah so okay this is how you're using this technology and i could like being able to use chat GPT for all that it is, is incredible, amazing, empowering, but the lack of persistent memory makes it hard to, to take it to where I think most people would like to go. So if we were able to take a system like what you built for Ruby and then apply it to any other job and say, here's all the work that I've done in the last year and a half, now help me plan the next year and a half's worth of work. Is that where you see this type of thing going? 
it's I think that's the the easiest, most obvious place for it to go. And I think it's going to go, you know, twice as far, three times as far in terms of the, what it actually ends up doing like that. We can we can do already pretty much right. like uh, it's it's maybe you maybe you need a developer or somebody technical to help figure out the details but you can essentially take all your text as long as you clean the data nicely give it to an ai it can learn it and and it can help you and so if you think about any company that has you know client proposals for every client or you know reports and documents about their own like imagine taking all your quarterly reports and giving it to an AI and say, figure out what's wrong with my business and how we can grow faster. <laughs> like you could right. pretty much do that right now. Um, and it should be. Sorry, able McKinsey. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, McKinsey could take all of their stuff that they've done with clients and create like a, the McKinsey ultra, ultra brain. So I'm not worried about them either. Um, right. They, they have probably some of the best data in the world on all these things. Uh, but it's, to me, it's like where you go after that that gets even more interesting. Um, like what happens when you try to uh, let the AI suggest and make decisions for you or forecast things or or um, what happens if you take two AIs and you let them work together on something? So, you, I mean, it sounds crazy, right. but like, so let's say you have the strategist AI and you have the devil's advocate AI. And then you, you you leave them alone in a computer for an hour to have a conversation about what your company should do. And the strategist has to continually prove to the devil's advocate that the strategy that they're proposing is going to work. And the devil's advocate's job is to take it apart and attack it and try and force the you know the other AI to um right. to yield. And then at the end of that, they work together to summarize somehow the insights and the nuances and the little details. You know, like there are use cases like this that we haven't even begun to explore where the power of having multiple things kind of working together to solve problems. Um, it's so far beyond like typing in like what what's the best TV in Bing chat? <laughs> you know, like right. it's, we're, we're, we're talking like entire strategy sessions full of executives being able to be replicated virtually like with um with just a couple of these language models and and really not even that much code, like code that they themselves can generate for each other. Uh, so that's that's kind of like the the beginning of where I see this headed. Okay. Well, okay. So before we hit record, you said that you sort of had a a glimpse of some version of reality that could come true. Like I'm not expecting you to tell the future or anything like that, or else I would just ask you to give me the lotto numbers and we'd close the podcast out right now. But um, where, so that's like part of it. What else do you see the future bringing? Well, okay, let's let's think of a prompt as one thing that you ask one language model to do. I sort of the epiphany came when I saw this as like a one one line of code in in a program where it's like you're ask, asking the algorithm or whatever the the um programming the language to like execute yeah. one one thing okay and then i was thinking about how i've worked at startups where it's like the code base was 10,000 lines or or you know i'm sure there's there's ones that are way larger than that and what happens when we begin to string together not just like computations if this then that type stuff cuz the zeros and ones is the basis of the current computer right 
But with these language models, it's inference, it's intuition, it's wisdom. It's not a, if this, then that, it's not like a, you know, this is on, this is off, or, or this is a calculation. It's like a, it's like a thought. Um, it, there can be reasoning, there can be analysis, there can be uh, retrieval of data, all these different things. So what happens when we, when we start to string those together? What happens when we string together a set of reasoning tasks that are 50 tasks long that get real deep into the weeds on every little thing and try to try to figure something out at a level of complexity that even a team of humans can't, you know, think through. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, we're already sort of doing this in other areas with machine learning, like uh, in the quest to, to create a pan vaccine for COVID, they're like feeding these computers all of the different protein shapes that COVID has ever had and saying like, can you make a shape that can stick to all of these things and trying to like make the, this ultra, ultra vaccine in a way that, you know, like humans couldn't um, run a million tests like that and, and have it all work, but the things can simulate it and are trying to find the answer. So, but what are the answers that that we can do with the wisdom version of that? Not just sort of the, the math, you know, if this and that version, but the wisdom version of that. And as I started to kind of like theory craft some of these things, it my brain just started breaking. And I think that we're going to reach a point where we don't understand the... Comp like the computers, let's, we, I don't even know if we can call them computers anymore, where we create technology that we can't understand. And that that's actually coming in like the next five years, um, if, if it isn't here already with, with the language models themselves, that they're going to be able to like go so deep and in, in such sophisticated ways that they might have to create their own language to explain it to themselves or to other language models, that, that they might be running processes and computations that they design themselves that we can't fully understand why they work, but they work better than any other way of modeling or, or doing things that, that we've ever done. And that's sort of the real future that I see coming, is this, this moment where the human is not just, pa like, they, they've passed us in a way uh, in certain tasks, because like the it's the model has an unfair advantage, it can access all of human knowledge like in an instant, right? You know, no big deal. But we're still sort of in charge. We still have a sense of what's going on, and we can we can still like kind of um, we're the ones who tell the language model what to do. But th there's going to be a point when it's it would really be better if they told us what to do, and we were just kind of like the quality check on the decision. Because we can't understand the logic, like the the logic and intuition and everything behind that decision, and I think it's going to come sooner than we think. Where you're going to have to trust the the gut instinct of a of a computer or yourself, like where people are going to have to like make, sure. <laughs> make this yeah. um, this decision. And like I I can't understand why this why this is true, but it, I think it's going to be true, and so I'm going with the AI on this one. Uh, that I mean, depending on where you apply that, like that has such a huge implication for how it can affect us as individuals and as society, right? Like, yeah. you know, if you're talking about accounting and you're like, there's a million numbers here, I'm just going to trust the AI. That seems a little easier than to say, you know, you've looked at my background and you've looked at my psychological profile and now you're recommending that I quit this job and go do something else. And it feels scary. Like that that's at a whole other level, right? Yeah. What if an AI looked at all the emails in an organization, a massive organization, determined the 
types of connections that people have with each other, the types of relationships, the the power dynamics, like other things like right. that, and then gave advice on how to restructure or reorganize or what roles were redundant. Like, you know, there are some pretty, uh, pretty insane things that could be done with just the regular data that's out there right now. Right. If you asked an AI to, to come up with a plan for it and you might not like the answer. Um, right. But it might be, it might be, true like not just subjectively true um because like the, an ai can be made to be indifferent about the outcome and just kind of try to reach the best conclusion um but like there's also these ais that they have a, they have access to some of the magic that previously only humans did um so for example like i'm a marketer and when we do conversion rate optimization for a landing page Sometimes we, weird counterintuitive things work. So like if you follow all the rules, so to speak, of marketing, there's a certain way to optimize a landing page. But sometimes when you make the thing uglier, it actually performs better because it like attracts attention. And it's, and it's hard to explain like what form of ugly is the most performant and, and you know, what kind of brand damage you're doing. And these things right. aren't they aren't like logical, but they I mean, maybe there's a logic to it, but they they just they sort of work based on magic and pseudoscience and and intuition well the right. ais now have intuition and so they it's not just calculating a best practice it's like they can start to come up with ideas like that for all sorts of things that are counterintuitive but based on the sort of learned experience of the ai like maybe it's going to work and we should give it a shot um yeah and, and i think the entire and all of society is going to be disrupted by some of these innovations that that come out of that yeah yeah it's it's weird i mean i have uh more kids than most and i'm i i just wonder like i didn't grow up in a reality where this was something i faced as a young person and so i just i'm very curious to see how this affects people who are in the job market you know 15 20 years down the line and uh, and what that looks like yeah the uh like you know i grew up in a world where your phone was at your house and it was attached to a wall and had a cord i was there yeah you know and, and when it <laughs> rang you picked it up and you didn't know right. who it was <laughs> and um and and in that world or and we now live in a world where you don't have to be home to receive a call right um and we live in a world where not only that but you you have the internet and and all of those things and so uh it seems so normal now but when you when i do think back to you know like my childhood and like the time I had to walk like a half a mile because like no one was answering the phone, but I wanted to like <laughs> hang out with my friend and I knew he was home and like I had right. to go on the bait, like on a, on the hunch that he must be there. But like something loud is going, you know, like they're like those things don't exist anymore. Um, right. Whatever it is, there's a version of that that's not going to exist anymore because of AI. And um, some people have some ideas about it. Uh, the thing about AI that I've been fascinated by is it's not actually, um, or a lot of the predictions haven't worked out the way people thought. Mm. So I remember there was a time when people were predicting that the creative um, skill sets would be the last to be affected by AI because it's like, how can you make a, a robot into an artist? That doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, and now we see that with tools like Midjourney, Stable Diffusion, Dolly, uh, um, imaging and cre the creation of of interesting art was like one of the first things for AI to get really good at, probably even more than language um, to an extent. Uh, I feel like some of the first most fascinating things that AI has ever did for me was create images that like in an instant that 
I couldn't even have imagined. Right. So think of all the predictions that we have that are like that, where we're like, no way, that's not going to happen. <laughs> like everyone said that AI was coming for like truck drivers and stuff. Like we, yeah. we still don't have AI truck drivers. Right. Um, but all these other professions like accountants are looking like they're going to be impacted because uh, like that's the, the way the technology is headed. Yeah, it'll be fast. It, it, it will be so fascinating to look back in 10 years and we'll, we'll have probably posts on social media if whatever that looks like at that point, but saying, you know, here's the predictions, you know, all the stuff like what the year 2000 was supposed to be like and how laughable that it actually wasn't flying cars and, and everything yeah. that we thought it was going to be in, in, in the eighties. We're still, in my opinion, the only thing that we're never going to get is flying cars right? because the laws of physics just make it really like not a That's, good use of energy to like constantly fight against gravity in that way. <laughs> well, yes. And on top of that, I'm out on the road and I see a lot of people who don't maintain their cars very well. And so they get, they pull over to the side of the road because they break down. If you have a, a you know, a flying car that just breaks down and then it falls on my house and hits my kid, like that's a problem. Yeah. So <laughs> that's always also my that. Thing. I hadn't, I hadn't <laughs> considered that. I'm overdue for an oil change. If my car was a flying car, I would have done that by now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, one of the things that um, I've just enjoyed watching you this last, it's probably been like 12 months. I know that you sort of had a, a focus, at least on your, your Twitter account for like audience building. And you were you know, doing that for a long time. And like you said, you're a marketer. And then you sort of turned the corner towards really focusing and dialing in on, on AI. Um, and I've sort of seen this progression of you being so excited to share what you're learning in, in terms of prompt craft. And I think you coined the term mega prompt. Yes. Are we? Yeah. Uh, so I used that in another podcast and I was excited because I'm helping disseminate uh, your, your word. Um, so you've grown a lot in this space. And I was just curious, like, where's your mind at right now when it comes to building prompts? Um, well, if we, if we go back in time, uh, like four years ago, I actually started playing with AI in secret with GPT-2. And I was I was embarrassed because as a writer playing with AI <laughs> writing tools, I didn't want anybody to think ever that like an AI wrote anything I put out, right? And so when all this happened, I was able to kind of go public with my secret enthusiasm. It was, <laughs> it was the greatest thing because I had basically like wasted hundreds of hours across years playing with a tool that I could like kind of never reveal. Like I never <laughs> wanted to let anybody know <laughs> that I knew so much about how it worked. Right. Um, and so it was, it was the best like waste of time I've ever done. Mm. Um, and so, so a lot of that energy that you, that you saw was like the outpouring of like, finally, I feel like the world's comfortable in hearing from me about these things and like um, the, 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 the feelings that were all pent up in terms of where it's headed now. Okay. So, uh, we, we talked before, like if a prompt is just a, a single thing that you ask a language model to do and then it and then it returns a response. That's kind of like where where we're at right now. And um, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what a mega prompt is, this is a strategy that I've I've kind of coined where we, we try and add more specificity, context and information to the prompt to get a better result. So you can ask the prompt to act as a persona. You can give it steps to complete a task with. Um, you can give it uh, context around the task or even a, like an, an output that you want or even examples of, of what you're talking about or what kinds of outputs you want. And all these things make the prompt work better. That's just, that's just one step. That's one, it's like one, one command, one response. 
And um, like I was saying earlier, one of the things that I discovered while working on personality design with my co-host is that she responds more like herself when I ask the language model to basically do it in two steps, or maybe even three, you might say three, like have your internal monologue about what you want to say, and then like say it out loud in the voice of Ruby, like as she would articulate it. And the results are like five times as good as if you try and have it do that all in one step. And so I do think that the the direction that this is headed is not just for having really better single prompts, but looking at ways that we can iterate across a couple different um, passes of of the the mind of the AI, so to speak, to like you know produce results that are even better, even better, um, allowing it to kind of step by step reach conclusions or help us in these chains or sequences of prompts and figuring out what's the right amount of sequence. And what's kind of a waste, because you do get a lot of extra writing when you go in a sequence. I think that's like kind of the next frontier that I'm really interested in cracking is um, I've got all these experiments planned or, or that I want to plan around taking some of my mega prompts, breaking them down into sequences, testing them against the original prompts, seeing like what's the right balance, what's the right mix of all these things. And uh, what's or lastly, what's interesting there is every language model and every new version of the language model behaves a little bit different to the same prompt. And so it's not like it's one universal skill. It's this constantly moving target. And so when GPT-4 version 2 comes out, and you know, or when they, they fine-tune it to do this, or when GPT-5 comes out, or Claude 2, or Sage 2, or, or Bing Chat 2, or like, you know, every single one of these is going to have like a, a style that works the best and that style is going to be different across different um, disciplines or types of queries and you know it might be to get a mathematical answer from this ai do it like this but um on this other one you know it's not good at math at all but you can get a really amazing answer to a philosoph uh, philosophical question mm -hmm. if you if you use this approach i think there's this is like there's never been so much undiscovered territory in um in like knowledge before and, right. and it's all just kind of waiting for us to experiment and try and figure out how to get in there. Wow. So it, are, you're saying the multi-step process seems to be where you're getting the best results, at least at the moment. So do you see that following a pattern? Like if I start with X, then ask for Y, I end up with Z. I don't know if it's so, so easy to articulate as that. Okay. Um, so it, it started with, I read a paper about something called chain of thought prompting. And in chain of thought prompting, you basically teach in your prompt the AI how to think something through, and then you ask it to think something else through. So you, you, you say like, uh, like the, the examples in these papers are often math questions where they're like, if Mary has six apples and she gives three to Johnny and, and then Johnny eats one apple, how many apples does Mary have? Or they, they do one of those kinds of things. And then sure. the prompt says... Let's think this through. Like Mary had six, but gave three away, so now she has three. Like, uh, like, and it'll show like the logic to follow. Okay. Um, and then the you might prompt after that. Now figure out for me a more complicated question or a different kind of question. So that that's where I got the idea was like, how do we walk the AI through a chain of thought? Now this is where it gets really interesting to me as like as someone who like, let's take marketing, for example, if you have any specialized knowledge, you have all these implicit 
ways of thinking that like you don't know anymore or that you don't know consciously anymore. So when I think about marketing, I think about who's my audience? What do they care about? What do they suffer? Uh, like what challenges are um, preventing them from achieving their goals? I, I have a lot of thoughts like that. And then I think, well, how can I help solve those challenges? And what's the best method of communicating to this type of person? Are they busy? Are they on the go? Do they respond to visuals? Do they read? Do they like to be entertained? Like there's, there's all these different things that go on in my mind that I don't consciously do anything with. And I just mm -hmm. write a tweet or create some content um, intuitively. Well, I think we can take any kind of knowledge, like if you have any subject matter knowledge like that, where you can investigate into your own process of like, what are all the assumptions that I'm making? Or what are like the little things that I've done a few times and that I don't have to do anymore to think about my own audience or customer or project, but that the AI has never done and doesn't know and has no context around. And what if I ask it to walk through some of those steps first to develop a very vivid picture of all the moving pieces of this, and then at the end ask it to actually do the thing I want it to do. The the results are are they're like orders of magnitude more useful when you do something like this. So what what's the difference between setting it up with a lot of context and information? So say you start off by saying I'm a marketer, my target market is interested in da 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 da. You know, the concerns are these things. So how are you having the AI reason with you through that rather than just saying, here's a bunch of stuff for you to, to set as your context? Yeah. So if, if you take any of those as a step, you can ask it to, to explain or break down or provide context or expand on various ideas. So it, it, I might say my, my audience has these adjectives and suffers from these challenges. That's still relatively simplistic in terms of if you think of the complexity of the human experience, or not just sure. a few adjectives and like, you know, right. a few labels. And and so you could say then break these challenges down. What happens? Uh, why do they happen? What happens before that they they occur? What happens while they occur? What happens after they occur? Uh, so we we start to expand the the boundaries of the context into the subtleties of a problem or who, how mm. does this happen? Who does it happen to? Who is impacted? Who has the money to purchase the solution? Like um, once you start to kind of go down this path, you can come up with a lot of questions. And here's a technique that um, even if you don't know what the, the questions to ask are, if you've previously asked some different kind of follow-up questions or, or, or something, you can ask the AI how should we expand this topic or this idea in a way that'll give you more context? Like you tell me what we should do. Like, <laughs> um, so like you just need one good example and it, it can infer all the, the new pieces of information it needs on a totally different topic. Dude, this has been incredible. I I've been trying to learn as much as I can about these AI technologies using chat GPT, following your stuff. And here we are in just a, a short, you know, 40 minute conversation. I've already feel like I've, I've learned so much. Um, so thank you for, for doing this with me. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I like to do at the end of the show is, is just ask you for three actionable things that our audience could kind of take away and run with. So I'm curious what, what your three might be. Yeah. So, so we might start with um, taking action on some of the prompt craft advice that I was giving earlier. So the next time that you find yourself talking to a chat bot or something like that, instead of just asking the basic question, 
maybe try and apply one of these other strategies? Can you give it more context? Can you ask it to act as an expert? Or can you actually unpack the question that you are about to ask first and, and then ask the question second? So um, just experience the difference even. Um, you could take that a step further and like see what, what happened if you just ask the question and then start a new chat and ask it in a different way and, and realize that this skill this is an emerging skill that can that will carry you for decades potentially um, if you can start to learn how to ask these questions now. So that's one. Um, the next one is I think that a lot of people are afraid right now that AI is coming for their jobs and um, like we have this excitement around it, but a lot of people are not excited. They're very worried. <laughs> and I want to encourage people if if you see an area where AI is going to be able to do something that you previously could do, to think about how can you increase the value for your customer or the value for your firm that you create, given that you don't have to do that menial task or that uncreative action or that that simple thing that you, that you used to have to do. And, and, and I want you to flip the script on, on this narrative. I don't think AI is coming for jobs. Like humans need jobs. It's sort of like part of how we work. But we also need to create value. So if you are unburdened by some piece of work, how can you create new value in your organization and take whatever skill you have and, and uh, apply it, you know, s somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, I think that that'll be really important moving forward. So one of the reasons that I took the leap into AI as a influencer, so to speak, was that I was worried about the sort of bad guys winning in this, uh, mm -hmm. like people coming in and just churning out AI written books with no soul and no heart and uninteresting content and flooding the market and making it really hard to find the good books or, or all the different things that can be done in excess. And so if you are a, if you are a so-called good guy, if you want to create amazing content, if you want to use AI to, to, to create things of interest, I want to like be encouraging to that. Yeah. And if you are thinking about trying to get a quick buck, like, oh, I can make a million web pages with like all of this machine written content. Um, I want to encourage you to like rethink, like what's going to happen when you do that and when everybody does that and whether that's the world that we all want to live in. Uh, I think that we have an opportunity to make really cool stuff right now, but we also have an opportunity to kind of ruin a lot mm -hmm. of nice things. And um, I hope that we do the first one more than the second one. <laughs> well, if we learn anything from our history, we'll probably end up doing a little bit of both. So, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. when is the podcast coming out? First week of April. So first week um, of April. It may even be out by the time this episode. It, it very well might be. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's great. Well, I hope everybody has an opportunity to check it out. And then you also have an AI content reactor. Uh, that That's the name of it, right? You got it right? Content reactor. Yeah. If content, you go to... Yeah mindmeetsmachine.ai. You'll find links to my courses, my guides, my podcast. Um, I'm adding a lot to that website every week. Uh, it's kind of going to be the hub of all the interesting things that I'm doing around AI. Um, other than what you find, if you follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn, you get, a, you get a taste of a lot of that as well. Hey, thanks so much for being a part of the show. Let's continue this conversation. Feel free to connect with me on Twitter where I'm at Craig Shoemaker. So go out and have an amazing day. I hope you get a chance to find someone to love, find someone to forgive, and find someone to encourage because we are most certainly not in this alone. And I'll see you again here soon on the Leverage 3 Podcast. <laughs>